Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. This week on Highways Voices, we ask whether that 2030 deadline, which means the only new cars will be electric cars, is really achievable. The only way that it will be achieved is by these different stakeholder groups working together. We have to remove the silos that have existed up to now and getting these stakeholder groups in the room together to understand, again, what those challenges are and work out how they can actually work together to deliver on this. We talk all things transport and energy today with the leading journalist in that particular field, And just like EVs, there's no hot air on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations ADEPT, the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK and LCRIG. So we chat to transport and energy journalist Alec Peachy on Highways Voices this week after our usual check-in with Adrian Tatum with his pick of stories that have caught his eye on the Highways News website. Carbon-cutting transport schemes are set for a £29 million boost in Norfolk despite the tough financial climate. Norfolk County Council's Cabinet will be considering a forward-looking and carbon-cutting transport budget for the new financial year at a meeting next week. At £133 million, the 2023-24 Highways and Transport budget represents a £29 million increase on the previous years. Despite inflation being expected to dent the authority's spending power, the Highways and Transport team have been focusing on maintaining and improving the network and continuing strong investment in carbon-cutting transport strategies as the council moves towards net zero by 2030. Elsewhere, Medway Council has been awarded more than £279,000 of government funding to help improve air quality around the region. The money is from the government's annual air quality grant, which aims to help councils develop and implement measures to benefit schools, businesses and communities and to reduce the impact of air pollution on people's health. The funding will be used to install air quality sensors around the Four Elms Hill air quality management area, monitor emission from vehicles in the area, model the impact of traffic speeds on air quality, and test ways to reduce emissions, as well as creating a local action group. A Cumbria construction company is one of 12 chosen by the government to upgrade the UK network. DSD Construction, based in Carlisle, have won its bid for to be half the National Highway's 1.3 billion five-year payment delivery framework and will work in the northwest and northeast regions. On top of those, you can also read about a new sustainable motorway gantry, speed cameras coming to Guernsey, maybe, National Highways launching an HGV blind spot awareness campaign, and there's a warning about cloned number plates. That's just a taste of all the dozens of stories we publish every week on our website, highways-news.com, where you can find links to our Twitter and LinkedIn pages, and of course, you can sign up to our a unique daily email into your inbox every lunchtime. We are the only place you need to go for everything you need to know. Swarco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. From software as a service traffic management solutions to parking, VMS, EV charging and road marking too, 
Find out how Swarco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swarco, the better way every day. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Today's guest on Highways Voices is Alec Peachy, who around the same time Adrian and I were launching Highways News, was busy launching his news website, transportandenergy.com. There's a crossover in the old Venn diagram of stories that we run on each site, and understanding the energy side of supply for electric vehicles is essential for anyone working in highways. So ahead of a Transport Technology Forum event he and I attended on EV charging infrastructure, I grabbed Alec for 20 minutes to pick his brains on the subject, starting with asking about his brand. The background really to the brand is very much recognising the fact that you've got two industries that have historically had no link, which now very much have to work together in order to meet the net zero challenge the targets that have been met. One example is obviously the ban on the sale of petrol and diesel vehicles by 2030, which is a huge challenge set amongst the backdrop of obviously uh, other wider net zero challenges and targets that have been set in law, as we know, around climate change. We're in a situation now where there are various different stakeholder groups involved in this who in the past would not have even looked at each other, let alone thought about how they might have to work together. But now, of course, they very much have to understand each other's challenges and work together on developing new opportunities, I suppose, and learning from one another to advance this situation. Because it's a tough job that the industries are facing to deliver in basically seven, eight years, even if we go to the end of 2030, it's less than eight years to go now to have such a seismic change with both the the vehicles and the infrastructure to charge those vehicles and actually the energy generation to power them. So there have been complaints in the past that actually we almost put the cart before the horse of saying this is the date it's going to happen and we'll work out how we're going to deliver it later. Do you get the feeling in talking to your clients and those experts in the industry that what we have in a timeline is actually achievable? Yeah, it's a difficult one to answer. I think obviously it is a quite a, a quick short period of time as you say, but ultimately this is about collaboration. The only way that it will be achieved is by these different stakeholder groups working together. We have to remove the silos that have existed up to now and getting these stakeholder groups in the room together to understand, again, what those challenges are and work out how they can actually work together to deliver on this. When you look at, say, the 2030 deadline, it's important that deadlines are set because ultimately they do focus minds. But at the same time, like with any deadline, you have to always kind of reflect and review as you go along and work out, okay, let's try and do this at the right pace at the right time. And for example, you look at the rollout of EV chargers, the government and OZEV have put a target on uh, 300,000 chargers being delivered uh, by 2030 under the transport decarbonisation strategy. Uh, And that is a big number. 
but ultimately it's about putting the right charges in the right place at the right time. And we've had a number of thought leaders on transport and energy that have spoken about this. So for example, if you're staying overnight at a hotel, you'd be looking at destination charging where you can charge your vehicle overnight on a, a seven kilowatt charger, or a trickle charge, and that's fine. It's charged up, ready for the morning to go on your journey. But if you're obviously traveling in a day on business, you'll need to use the rapid chargers, for example, on the motorway service station. So again, it's thinking about where these chargers need to go in, the right place and the right time. You and I are sitting here because we're both about to go and step into an event from the Transport Technology Forum about exactly that issue. So it's something that lots and lots of different stakeholders are taking an interest in is the electric vehicle charging infrastructure but there are challenges aren't there because just where to put chargers on the road now i'm lucky i live in a in a nice house with a driveway as and when my electric vehicle gets delivered i can have a charger put on the side of my house i'll be fine charging my car but if i lived in the house i first lived in Um, when I was in my 20s goodness knows where I used to be at a park wherever the neighbours hadn't basically how would I charge my car there these are the real issues that we're grappling with at the moment yeah definitely you know there's a lot of challenges and of course you're looking at different solutions to those challenges there are different innovations that are coming through. You've also got things like community charging, where people can essentially rent out a neighbor's uh, charging point and maybe use that at a cost and that, that particular homeowner can then you know, make some money from that. So it's becoming uh, an opportunity for people to share charging points uh, as well. In fact, home chargers will far outweigh the number of public chargers that are available at motorway service stations and, and so on. Then, of course, you've got on-street charging. And there's also this issue of bridging the gap geographically. Undoubtedly, in London at the moment, there will be more um, on-street chargers than there are in other parts of the country. And, of course, councils that are dealing with this, we know very well in the jobs that we do uh, alongside running our brands that local authorities are often facing big funding challenges. And, of course, there's a lack of probably skills and knowledge in some of these authorities when it comes to EV officers. There's obviously work being done to try and address that through the government's uh, Levi Fund, £450 million pot of funding, and some of that will specifically be used to upskill EV officers, which is very welcome because ultimately that will kind of bridge that, uh, that, that divide between north and south because when we're rolling out these EV charging points, it needs to be done in a socially equitable way as well. And of course, there is that challenge, as you say, of on-street charging, and of course, things like community charging too, all coming into the mix. You talk about equitable charging. One of the advisors to your brand is Quentin Wilson, who a million years ago was on Top Gear. He's a really knowledgeable guy when it comes to anything motoring. And he's got his Fair Charge UK campaign going because there's this bizarre disparity between the amount of tax you pay to charge a vehicle at home. People who live in accommodation where they can't 
have to end up paying more if they charge on a public charger because they're paying a much higher rate of VAT. Yeah, that's right, and it's a very you know valid point that you make there in terms of the the, the campaign that Quentin has got behind and, and others such as the RAC that have obviously backed it, his fair charge campaign. Um, and I know that MPs are starting to understand that as well. Quentin's done a lot of work through this campaign to make them realise that there is that discrepancy. And of course, you know that needs to be married more equally in order to encourage further adoption of EVs. Ultimately, you know, yes, there is a huge increase in the adoption of electric vehicles. The SMMT figures recently, one in four new car sales now um, an EV. So rising very quickly. But of course, at the same time, you know, there is going to have to be that scale of EV charging. Uh, and we have to make it more affordable uh, for people to be encouraged to you know, buy EVs. And then we get the fact that we're going to get vehicle excise duty on EVs and we're potentially going to move to road user charging at some point. Up until now, you, if you drive a petrol or a diesel car, you're paying fuel duty and quite a lot of fuel duty. So you've got a kind of per mile tax already that you haven't got on electric vehicles but if we phase out the 30 odd billion pounds worth of revenue a year to the exchequer of fuel duty because we've all moved to electric you're going to end up having to pay not only the electricity charge which has got much more expensive over the last year and uh, or so but you're also going to have to pay tax as well do we fear a backlash from drivers that have said hang on a second i've moved over to an electric vehicle and now it's actually costing me more per mile to drive that than my old petrol or diesel car again i mean i think there are probably some myths to be busted around that and ultimately you know people charging overnight if they're on the right tariff you know it will undoubtedly be cheaper still to fuel a an ev than it is a an ice vehicle but of course, we've got to think about the wider benefits to society and all of this as well. Of course, you make the point uh, around vehicle excise duty, and it's perhaps unsurprising that uh, it wasn't going to go on too long until the government uh, would look to try and uh, address that. Um, but I think you've got to be thinking about those wider benefits, such as obviously improved air quality, benefits to the economy. I think this whole kind of move towards net zero does represent a massive economic opportunity for this country. And indeed, when we talk about highways and trying to attract a younger and more diverse workforce into these types of industries, of course, if they can come into a sector where they know what they're doing is really truly going to make a difference to the environment and sustainability and so on, then that's a very attractive uh, proposition. Of course, it has the benefit, as I say, on the economy. And healthcare, if you improve healthcare, we all, uh, you know, live a better life. That's our guest Alec Peachy from Transport and Energy on this week's Highways Voices. And we'll chat more with him in a moment after we've caught up with news from our partners. Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations, Elkrig, Adept, the Transport Technology Forum and ITS UK. Bookings are now being taken for this year's Elkrig Innovation Festival, where products, solutions, new innovations and techniques can be displayed and demonstrated over a range of live demonstration sessions. The event provides local authorities with a chance to find out about new innovations from the supply chain that will help meet their current and future challenges. Last year's inaugural
inaugural event saw more than 450 delegates, including 60 different highway authorities in attendance, and it looks like it's going to be bigger and better this year. A reminder, the Transport Technology Forum and Department for Transport are interested in finding out more about any innovation in modelling and technology, no matter their scale, which will better enable traffic managers to deliver the network management duty to secure the expeditious movement of traffic on the authorities' road network and facilitate the expeditious movement of traffic on road networks for which another authority is the traffic authority. You can send any information about that modelling and your contact details to get this DFT Digital Tools, all one word, at wsp.com. ADEPT's Future Highways Research Group has published the results of a recent fleet review survey in early 2022, proving services were engaged by a major Midlands local authority to carry out a full review of their fleet operation. This included a survey of other local authorities with fleet operations themselves. The Fleet Review Survey results show how the management of fleet is emerging as a critical element in efforts to reach net zero. However, it highlights several barriers, including the turbulence in the energy markets and concern about the efficacy of some emerging technologies. Recruitment and retention also emerged as a sector-wide issue. Sharing knowledge and experiences during these difficult times offers a potential way forward for the sector, which may help reduce the risks to individual authorities. You can find Find more information at the ADEPT website. And ITS UK has launched a trade mission to Riga in Latvia, which will take place on the 13th and 14th of April as part of its export work and international outreach. The two-day trade mission will explore various transport projects across the country, giving ITS UK members insight to potential commercial opportunities across the nation. If you'd like to know more about the event and to find out how you can join, just email Rukshan Soysa, that's R-S-O-Y-S-A, at ITS-UK. .org.uk Highways Voices the podcast from highwaysnews.com highwaysnews.com Now let's go back to our guest Alec Peachy talking about transport and energy. I asked him next where the UK ranks in terms of preparedness for EVs and readiness to maximize the economic benefits of them. We're arguably probably mid table. There's still a lot of work to be done. But ultimately, you know, we need investment from the government and we need direction from the government. There needs to be that focus on things like gigafactories being built in the UK. At the moment, we're running the risk where auto manufacturers will move away from this country because if they don't see investment in the supply chain in terms of a place where EV batteries can be purchased for insertion into vehicles that are built here then of course they're going to take those plants and so on um, elsewhere abroad and and that obviously goes against what I was just saying earlier in terms of the economic opportunity so the government quickly needs to realise that I think in terms of ensuring that the investment is made here to keep those auto manufacturers and so on in the UK uh, and that will undoubtedly move the innovation on but I think that 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 direction does uh, need to need to happen. And talking of government and government policy, we had a lot of scare stories in the papers back in the autumn. There were stories that were warning us that by January, February time, we were going to have rolling blackouts for X number of hours a day because we didn't have enough electricity to deliver what we needed as a country. 
that hasn't happened and the grid has coped admirably this winter. But if we're then suddenly adding a vast amount more demand by having electric vehicles, basically, do we have enough power to power our homes, our businesses, our factories and our cars? Uh, the answer to that is yes, we do. Uh, I mean, there's a lot more clever people than uh, than me and you who uh, have been working on this for many years, Paul. There's obviously been a lot of modelling done around the future adoption of these EVs and uh, decarbonised transport is going to look like. And therefore, we're looking at different forms of energy generation, obviously cleaner energy too. Importantly, we have to decarbonise energy as much as we have to decarbonise transport, which are both uh, obviously high emitters. So therefore, as we go forward, the national grid and the the DNOs that work with grid, they're being very innovative in in ensuring that, of course, there is enough capacity to, to cope and power out homes, businesses and vehicles. Last November you had a very successful and really fascinating uh, one-day conference in Birmingham. And the real take-home I had from that that made my my remaining hair stand on end, and there isn't much of it, was when we came to HGVs. There was a, a speaker you had who talked about the one megawatt requirement per vehicle in order to charge an electric uh, an electric HGV in a reasonably timely manner you needed one megawatt supply which obviously is massively more than than we have at the moment and he said it was something like so don't quote me exactly if you have a motorway service station and you've got 12 charging points for electric HGVs that's the same power demand as the whole of Oxford. I can understand how it's going to work for cars and vans, but is there a a real solution to HGVs and actually the the freight that's on our roads? Yeah, I mean, the decarbonisation of logistics is a, a whole different challenge in a lot of ways. There are obviously some innovative companies out there, such as uh, Volta Trucks, who are looking to uh, electrify HGVs. But of course, hydrogen uh, is being talked about um, as, a, as another solution. Um, and I think uh, it, it possibly will play a part in you know, HGVs and so on in terms of, uh, you know, the that those logistics challenges that going over longer mileage of course there's an expectation now i think from a lot of consumers certainly when the pandemic hit uh, and you saw obviously a massive uh, dip in the amount of traffic on the roads and people obviously increased their reliance on home deliveries internet delivery so i think that there's going to be an increased expectation on the last mile delivery with logistics to be electrified so i think that's probably what will happen Um, and you you're seeing the likes of uh, amazon and dpd and others uh, move their fleets to electric and of course some of the goods you know may be going to a central distribution area and then of course going out from geographically in those local locations uh doing the last mile and being delivered um electrically i think you've seen recently as well an announcement with national highways who are adding uh, further energy storage to some of their motorway sites so there's all these different solutions that are being looked at uh, when it comes to decarbonising logistics, 
of course there's a lot to be done but again the government are setting quite ambitious deadlines uh, around when they expect that to be done so it's something that uh, hauliers are certainly having to look at and work out exactly you know how they're going to do this um, and, and i think that we we will start to see an acceleration of that you and I as journalists both have the same view that you can't write down questions when you start an interview because you never quite know what the person's going to say. But I scribbled down a number of things I wanted to talk about and you've just touched on one, which was hydrogen. Is hydrogen actually the solution that is about to hit and actually deliver the benefits that we really need? Or is it quite a long way away and we have to rely on EVs, at least in the short to medium term? I think it would be fair to say that certainly when it comes to passenger transport, electrification is very much leading the way. I go back to my earlier point in terms of car sales and you're seeing that increased number now, certainly of new car sales being electric. Probably, uh, you know, more a little bit more needs to be done in terms of the second-hand car market, but of course that will start to, to come through naturally. Hydrogen, there's probably still some unanswered questions there in terms of how hydrogen is, is produced, how clean is it produced, but of course there's a lot of cost behind that as well in terms of the production of hydrogen. So all of these things have to be considered against the wider benefit then of the decarbonisation impact so I think it as I said earlier I think it probably will play a role in terms of the longer haul logistics at the moment there are probably uh, not as many obviously hydrogen refuelling stations in, in the UK so at the moment you know in terms of refuelling it, it's going to take you a little while to, to even get to the place where you need to refuel your vehicle so I think it's a long probably still quite a lot of work to do with, with, with hydrogen finally Let's go back to the beginning and say 2030. As somebody who writes about this every day, who talks to the experts, who really gets the whole industry, is 2030 achievable for the government's plans that we no longer have sales of petrol and diesel cars? I would say in summary, all of this is about going further and faster. Our Transport and Energy Forum event this year uh, will actually be looking specifically at this. So the, the overarching theme is further and faster, accelerating the transition to a decarbonised future. Now, Chris Skidmore's recent Net Zero review provided 129 recommendations to government that they must move more quickly on climate change. So I think given that there are different pressure pockets and areas uh, and the government seem to still be quite committed to this particular subject area I think it certainly is achievable but of course there is still a lot of work to do and I reiterate my point earlier in the interview it will only be achieved through collaboration different stakeholder groups who haven't worked together before actually working out you know how understanding each other's challenges and those opportunities You've had some experts that have been trying to work on net zero for many years and have done a great job. But now, of course, you're getting new knowledge coming in and they have to be listened to in equal fashion as to those that have been doing this for a long time. Because, of course, with new ideas becomes new innovations and new opportunities. And I think that you'll hear a lot about that, obviously, via transportandenergy.com at our event again this year on the 16th of November. I'd encourage people to, to take a look. This is about improving air quality, 
energy security and ultimately providing a lot of great economic opportunities uh, for the country you know it really is a, a once in a generation opportunity I would say and it's not to be missed there needs to be a reaffirmation of the commitments that have been made. That's Alec Peachy with I think a fairly upbeat look at the future of EVs our transport and energy guest on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Before we go let's hear from Adrian with Adrian's accolade. My accolade this week goes to the curbside management company Grid Smarter Cities. They have announced that its curb dock bookable loading bay located by Bankside Pier in Southwark are now live and available to use. Each bay includes a two-sided e-link smart sign display, booking information on one side and air pollution alert levels on the other side. The curb dock project will test the concept of dynamically allocating curb space near riverside locations initially to provide pre-bookable curbside access for light freight loading and unloading activities. The company explains that by better managing current urban spaces, such as the curbside, flexible access prioritisation can help various users include the community to share and utilise allocated spaces safely and more effectively. A very different approach to curbside management and indeed good use of space in the public realm. And one of the many reasons why it's my accolade winner this week. That's a great accolade, Adrian. I followed the work of Grid Smarter Cities and its founder, Neil Heron, that's been undertaken over many years. And it really is fantastic to see the hard work coming to fruition and providing such a benefit with a solution that could grow across the country and frankly, be exported around the world. That'll do it for Highways Voices this week. Adrian and I will be back next Wednesday for more. So do join us then. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 